So guys, welcome to Cubed Consultancy, Cubed um, Club, where we actually take all the questions and answers from entrepreneurs and small to medium, even large enterprises. If you've got questions from accountancy to business advice or even marketing, this is the place to be. So guys, we've got Mark Manelli, Richard Colwell and Miraj on the stage and we're going to be asking some questions to Mark and Richard. Me and Miraj will have a few questions and today's topic we are discussing is how to set up a limited company and what are the actual advantages and how to go about this. Okay, before we do that, let me just reset the room and see what what this room is all about. So here you go. Welcome to the Cubed Audio Show. Whether you are an entrepreneur, an influencer, a sole trader, starting your first business or currently running a successful business, Cubed's got you covered. We discuss topics around accountancy, tax, business advice, raising investment, helping you to manage your wealth, and marketing to scale your business. Before we start we would like to inform you all our audio shows are subject to be recorded. By accepting an invitation to speak you are granting us permission to record your presence. So let's get this show started. Wow, looking forward to today's show guys. So I think I'm going to go with the first question. What do you say Miraj or do you want to go first? Uh, no, you can go ahead. Okay. Now, number one question I have for today and it's related to a limited company. That first of all, how to set up a limited company um, what what are the main advantages to set up a, co- a limited company over any other like partnership or or let's say public limited anything any other any other type of companies? So what would you say how to set up a company and what would be the main advantage? Any of you like Mark or Richard, if you want to cover that, please. Yeah, I'll cover this one. Um, yeah, the main advantage is that it is a separate legal entity to yourself. So. It will be like having a, um, a vehicle that will be completely separate to you. So a sole trader, whatever you make, you get taxed on, where if it's a limited company, that's a separate entity and that earns its own money and you are a director of that company. In terms of practicalities on how you set it up, um, there's loads of websites out there. I mean, we use a few of them um, and you uh, come up with a company name, so let's call it Aussie Limited and you'll put that in and see if it's available. Now, if that's available, you can appoint yourself as a director and a shareholder, or you can be a shareholder and appoint a director to represent yourselves. Um, Now, Companies House is a public record, so your data will be out there. Uh, It will have your full name. It will have a correspondence address. We always encourage that our clients register their correspondence address and the registered company address to our office. So we get all the HMRC letters and company's house letters, but you will have to put it down your residential address. Now that won't be visible to the general public, but it is part of a procedure. Uh, uh, Some of your date of birth will also be visible. Um, So it is a public record. And when you file your limited company accounts, they will be there. Often you'll file abbreviated accounts, which show just a balance sheet and uh, limited information about the company. In circumstances where you are you qualify as a large company, you will have to produce large, um, full accounts, and they'll have to be filed. And then each year, you're asked to do a confirmation statement. And the confirmation statement asks you to confirm if there's any changes to addresses, any changes to directors, be it their details or appointing anyone else, and also shareholders. 
there's a new thing that's come out in recent years called um, person of significant control. And this was brought out for people who were asking other people to run companies for them, like shadow directors. So you now legally have to list people who have a control over your company. Um, but yeah, it's quite a public record. Um, it is definitely the way to go if your earnings are creeping over the £50,000 mark. Um, and it will allow you to take advantage of dividends allowance, which is £2,000, and then a lower tax rate up to the basic rate. Hope that helps. Absolutely, Mark. Now, one question while you were saying that a lot of data will be shown and our personal information shown to the public. Is there any way that we could protect that and what would be the procedure if you were to protect this information? Yeah, we always encourage um, our clients to register um, the, the limited company at our office. Now, that would, that would protect, um, well, that's the, where the business trades, so everything comes there in terms of um, corporation tax and HMRC correspondence. When you register for VAT, however, or payroll with HMRC, they will ask for a trading address. So you can use our office as a correspondence address, so all codes and important pieces of information that we need in order to file payroll, but they do ask for a trading address, in particular with VAT. For the, um, for the director's details, you can appoint a correspondence address. Yeah, and as I mentioned, that correspondence address should be, you know, our office as well. Um, so if there is anyone you know, looking for your personal details, they won't be able to find it. Full names and things like that, you're not able to hide them, unfortunately. Okay. No, I was just I was just going to just add something there, um, Ozzy, which was that, you know, we, we sort of touched on pros and cons of limited company versus... Uh, just being a sole trader, you know, one of the main disadvantages given of, of being a limited company is the additional administrative burden and the additional filing requirements, which aren't that onerous, but can sometimes put people off, which reinforces Mark's point where if you come through Cubed and register your office with us, we can ensure that that administrative burden is minimised because we will take delivery of the various forms, for example, what they call a UTR or a unique tax reference number, because the company, like a human, like a person, has its own legal identity. And therefore, for HMRC, it is identified uniquely by its UTR, which is, I think, is it a 10-digit number, which, you, which effectively, the moment you create it, HMRC... Uh, will write to the registered address with a UTR that will stay with that company for life. As limited companies grow, some of the additional burdens that can occur uh, include the need to be audited by an independent auditor, which of itself will carry an additional and sometimes quite high extra cost. That, of course, only applies to limited private companies above a certain size, uh, typically one turning over more than £10 million or with assets over 5 million or 50 people. So not most for 95% of private LTD companies, that advantage of being able to separate your legal self from that of the company uh, more than outweighs the disadvantages of one or two annual filings for tax and statutory purposes. 
okay that was that was really really helpful especially i just learned something new that i could actually hide my own personal address as well and i could use your address as my own correspondence address so that would actually hide my my ashley residence address which is which is quite useful thanks very much guys you know and Miraj, have you ever... I, I, I don't think it's too much, you know, that question of hiding per se. I mean, it, it's it's purely because, you know, it you don't necessarily want your own residential address to be on the public record. And it's just keeping your private address what it is, which is private. If the government taxpayers, creditors want to write to the company, they can write to us. And we, can, and we will obviously let every director of every limited company registered with us know who's trying to get in contact but it's, it's more about the private individual being able to to remain as a director or shareholder of a company just that private which everybody else of course enjoys with that actually uh, go ahead there has actually been a change as well um previously uh where let's say we've uh, received a client who's um already come with a limited company and it has their home address on there now it used to be very difficult, if not impossible, to remove them records, um, and it would cost substantial amounts because it needed to be put to the uh, courts to get things removed, such as address. However, due to privacy, and I think there's a few other issues where there was, um, uh, should we say, famous famous individuals that had registered their personal address, and people were turning up at the houses and all sorts. It, it resulted in they've now made it a lot easier to remove key information from the filing history of a company. Whenever you look at a company, you can go back to when they first incorporated and anything that's been done is there, but you can now amend where someone might put their home address on a piece of paper, be it a confirmation statement or even an incorporation statement, uh, incorporation document before they knew what they were doing. So it's now become a lot easier. There is still fees for that, but it's, you know, it's around 30 pounds as uh, previously, I think it was about a few thousand pounds. So uh, they are making it a lot, a lot better in terms of security for people and just, just simple privacy. Brilliant, brilliant. You know, the way you guys mentioned that, like your clients could use your address to register a business. The question I have is, do you guys as a company, as an accountancy firm, do you have any limitations as to how many businesses could you register on your on your, on your your actual address? That's a good question. I mean, we have probably upwards of 100 plus, but uh, as to whether there's a ceiling, I mean, it, it obviously becomes an administrative burden for ourselves as a company. And, you know, we have administrators who, you know, we employ at Cubed who keep on top of that core administration. Um, I don't know if, Mark, you know if there's actually a, a, a maximum limit? I've never heard of one. No, there isn't a maximum limit, but you do have to maintain a list of who you are the registered office for. And often in the county practice, when you have a, uh, a lease, so in a, let's, for example, like a Regis or a... Uh, uh, the office group, TOG, or places like that, you will have to list that out, and often you're not allowed. Um, there's definitely a cap on that. But where you have your own office, you know, provided you maintain a strict list of who is your registered clients there, then you're uh, good to go. And that list is maintained on behalf of HMRC and ICAW, which is the Institute of Chartered Accountants. So you do have to maintain that. Brilliant. Miraj, have you got any questions? 
Yeah, I do actually. But before um, before you ask the question, let me just reset the room, guys. Welcome to Cubed Consultancy Cubed Group, where we take all the questions from accountancy to forensic accounting, business advice, financial advice, as well as um, our basically business advice. You know, so yes, so we take on all the questions. Before we move on, let me just reset the room and show you exactly what we're all about. Here you go. Helping you to manage your wealth and marketing to scale your business. Before we start, we would like to inform you all our audio shows are subject to be recorded. By accepting an invitation to speak, you are granting us permission to record your presence. So let's get this show started. Yes, Miraj, if you're ready to go. Yeah, no problem. Um, so yeah, I had a couple of questions, actually. The, the first is with regards to a limited company setup now sometimes you know you've got directors you've got shareholders you've got one in the same they might be shareholders and directors who from your knowledge who ultimately dictates the the direction that the company would go is there a is there any clear parameters in terms of you know the difference between shareholders and directors and how important is it to have a good shareholder agreement in, in your limited company. Well, I'll get I'll get this done then. Um, yeah, the the shareholders appoint the directors, so the directors run the business. Um, they are there; they're appointed on behalf. Often, as you said, they're the same people. But where you have a uh, let's say an apple, you know, they would have their shareholders. They would appoint their board of directors to run the business for them. Um, for me, a, a shareholder agreement is massively important. The longer I've been in in this accountancy industry and looking at different businesses, to have that shareholder agreement set in stone at the beginning, you know, granted things change, but provided you have that first initial document that has, you know, even down to controls or recently we've had a, we've done a shareholder agreement where if one of the other shareholders left, they, that the other shareholder had first dibs on any of them shares. You know, to get them things agreed is, is key. Now, when you are going to change anything, again, you just sit down and board minute it, and everything is clear. It's always transparent. But, yeah, that, that effort at the beginning, I mean, even when I first started, it was just standard memonarts. You just apply, and that was it. And that, that was fine, but the longer you've gone on where you've seen boards and... Um, and shareholders arguing, and it's just ruined businesses. To get that agreed at the beginning, I think, is um, is very important. Yeah, you know, I was just going to add to that. Was um, Mark meant to just touch briefly there on? He said, "Mem and arts." When you set up a, a standard limited company off the shelf from one of the you know public service providers, you will have the option to what they call adopt the standard memorandum and articles of association, mem and arts. All that effectively means is about a 30, 35 page standard document, which Companies House recommends in the absence of all others, but it's the rules. It's a standard rule book, how you should conduct business as a limited company. I would say 99 out of 100 companies that we've helped to create would adopt those standard rules for the game. Now, you know, one of the things you mentioned there about shareholders and directors, it may sound obvious, 
but there is a statutory minimum number for, you know, you must have at least one shareholder and you must have at least one director. Now, as you grow in size or you become a public limited company, which is a, a, a slightly more constrained, typically larger vehicle, you will have to have a minimum of two directors. But generally speaking, the standard memorandum articles association are there to show you the rules that apply to most limited companies. When you get into that area of a, of a side agreement or an extended shareholder agreement, it will be things that you apply in addition to those standard rules. So the one that Mark touched on there uh, being what happens if an existing shareholder leaves, dies, is sacked, you may choose that those shares will automatically be offered to the existing shareholders. You may you may have other agreements. You may say they will be cancelled in the addition in, in the event of somebody leaving the company, those shares will effectively be bought back by the company or just cancelled. So think about where you believe the company is trying to get, what that company has been set up to achieve, and see if there's something that isn't governed by those that standard rule book and do it right at that very start. On another, on a practical note as well, when you are setting up banking for your limited company, more often than not, uh, anyone who owns 25% of the company will be KYC, which is know your client. So you'll need to provide proof of address, passport, um, and even if you're not a signature, any sort of ownership, you will have to be KYC'd. Um, so when you are setting up banking, it, it can be quite time consuming. You know, business now, there's directors all over the country, you know, so bear that in mind when you are coming to the setup stage. And what, again, whilst it might sound obvious, if you intend to set up a limited company with its own bank account, which we recommend, and you intend to have three, four, five shareholders, two, three directors, we will say in the first instance, appoint one as a director, that one same person as a shareholder and then set the company up on that basis. Invite the others in after you have done that base admin, in particular setting up your new bank account. If you set up a new bank account with most banks, with one shareholder and one director, it is immeasurably quicker than if you try and do that for a company with three, four, five directors. Just a practical point there. Yeah, I've actually had to go through those KYC uh, checks every year and they're pretty thorough. You know, they, they talk about everything from your turnover to your ownership, if anything's changed, and it is it's quite a lengthy process. What, one question I actually wanted to, I guess it's just something I've heard um, through the grapevine and I don't know if this is actually true or not, but if you have a limited company, are you expected to therefore become VAT registered as well? Or is that a completely separate thing? Well, we're, we're fighting for that one. I was, I was just going to say, to start with, regard those as two separate things. The limited company is the limited company. VAT is a tax that you have to collect unpaid on behalf of the government in certain circumstances. Not all in fact, I think I read somewhere that around two-thirds of companies over their lifetime never have to or indeed do register for VAT. VAT is something 
that you have to register for given certain circumstances happening in that business. The, the one that most people understand is once your turnover exceeds £85,000 a year, and in addition to that, you are making what they call a taxable supply. A taxable supply is is a sale of goods or services that falls within the remit of the VAT regime. Not every supply of goods or services does fall subject to VAT. Most do, but there are certain sales that you can make which are exempt, which means doesn't attract VAT, uh, and therefore even if you get grow to a significant size, you don't have to register. But generally speaking, see those two things, Mirage, as separate. You're setting up a limited company, and given certain circumstances later down the line, you may need to register for VAT and pay some of your turnover over to the Treasury. Yeah, whenever we see businesses and we initially have that uh, that first chat with them, we always try and find out what they're doing and you know the the nature of business and the type of customers they have. And if you know, the trigger point is obviously that turnover point, and you'll have to register. But there is several clients that will be receiving VAT refunds on a regular basis. Sometimes you know every single time. Now, if that is key to their cash flow, we sometimes recommend that they do monthly. VAT returns, which is a nice little input to their um, to keeping the business going, keeping it ticking over, and, and just helping their cash flow. So yeah, it's circumstance. You know, each client we always by spending that extra bit of time that we do. You know, we really do spend that time getting to know the clients and getting to know their business. It allows us to give that better advice. Um, you know, when you go, I mean, we see so many accountants. We hear from clients where it's just bog standard and they just get them in and fill out the engagement letter and get them on a monthly fee. But I just don't feel like you're getting that value. And, you you know, as a business owner, especially when you first start, you need to get that, that advice and that element of hand-holding. Um, you know, especially VAT is quite scary for people. So to explain to them that potentially it might help their business getting back rich because it will put extra cash in their pocket is just um, it's a bit alien to them. So, yeah, again, you know, talking about cubes approach here but we always spend that extra time and i think it really helps i think uh, that was a good question mirage in the sense that you know what comes first well that may never happen during the lifetime of a company there's only really two things that are absolutely mandatory for a company that is that it must have at least one director and shareholders that's rule one and rule two is of all the taxes the government's managed to dream up there is only one that they require you to at least consider on a regular basis, and that is corporation tax. When you register and create your limited company, very soon after you will be written to by HMRC, and they will say, uh, here is your tax reference number. You know, We expect you to submit annual corporation tax returns, even if there is no tax payable against this reference number. So every company every limited company will have to at least submit a corporation tax return but there are no other taxes that you know are a hundred percent applicable PAY and national insurance only if you have employees VAT only if you sell goods and services over a certain threshold so just set up the company and be mindful that in a year's time you will at least have to uh, 
give some consideration to whether or not you have some corporation tax to pay. That's really helpful, thank you. And uh, I just had one final question actually, uh, with regards to how employees or directors etc are remunerated through a limited company because I assume that when you're a sole trader or you're self-employed you know you kind of are just taking your salary as as you dictate but with limited companies there are options you know to either put people on salaries or to draw dividends how how is a common structure with with limited companies that you've seen and what would you recommend well, I think this this one is definitely for Mark the, or the wizard of tax as he's known in the office um, <laughs> what he doesn't know about using the flexibility of limited liability company status to um, optimize your tax planning isn't really worth talking about so Mark where would you start on that one I mean how long how long have you got me what an intro <laughs> brilliant um, yeah, when you've got an owner-managed business, um, you would put the director on a salary to take advantage of their personal allowance, which is 12500 Well, You kind of want it to be underneath the NI threshold as well. So they get a small salary that way. They would then declare a dividend, and you get 2 k um, tax-free, so you're allowed to take it, and then the rest is taxed at 7.5% up to the basic threshold. Um, there's been some recent changes, but... It, it's more or less how it works. I always think about um, a director as having two hats. So even though you own that company, you are you're effectively working on behalf of the company. I always give the example I probably did last week as well of uh, when a client comes to visit their amazing accountants and brings me and Richard out for a coffee, um, and they pay personally. Technically, they've done that on behalf of the company, so they should be then repaid that amount. Another example is where a director is working from home. You know, technically they can recharge use of home as office to the company, or where they're going out to see clients. You know, you recharge your mileage. You're allowed 45p up to the first 10,000 miles, and then 25p thereafter. So anything like this goes against your director's account. So, you know, during a year you might take uh, 60,000 pounds, let's say, but after you take away the PAYE amount you take away any expenses you've incurred personally on behalf of the company, that remaining balance should be taxed as a dividend. Um, there's lots of planning there. You know, For example, if it's an owner-managed business and, you, and, and you're married, there's an advantage there to give your wife shares because then she can, and, and also a salary to take advantage of her personal allowance. She can uh, do some admin work and then she can also receive a dividend. Um, so it, it, there's lots of planning that you can do there. What I was just going to uh, say, one of the things that I've seen uh, Mark um, really emphasize is the use of what's known as the director's loan account, which is effectively uh, a tally board showing how much the, that director has contributed to the company and how much he or she has taken from the company. Uh, and there are one or two things that, and opportunities that arise at the, at the very beginning of a limited company, Mark. In particular, any money, funds, assets introduced by that director? Yeah, I always emphasize, Richard's heard me say it hundreds of times and very animated with my hand actions as I'm 
on the phone talking about it but when you first start your limited company it's a it's a real key point to look through your old bank statements look through any cost that you might have that you've incurred to bring that limited company to its infancy um, now that might be you know bringing new clients any sort of computer equipment that you've purchased that you're going to introduce but any point in time when you first start that company you have a director's loan account now if you can build that up to I don't know 10 20,000 that you've introduced be it through paying expenses or capital be it a motor vehicle or equipment or computer stuff whatever it is when the company starts making a profit you can take that money out tax-free uh, because it is that's exactly what it is it's a loan and vice versa if you've taken loads of money out of the company then you technically owe that back now there's been recent changes on the director's loan account because uh, people were um, taking advantage of it should we say and anything now that is left as a balance that you owe back to the company if it's not paid within nine months of one day then the corporation is attached to that amount at 32.5%, which is a massive, massive amount of tax to pay. Uh, when you consider corporation tax is actually 19%, so it's it's a huge, huge bump up. So uh, bear that in mind. But y y Rich is right. At the beginning of your company, we always ask them, look through all your bank statements, see what you've incurred, have a look through your emails, just see who you've been speaking to, because there'll be loads of cost that you have incurred personally. I mean, I'm just going to just add a little anecdote here. One of our recent clients that's, that is uh, a fairly well-known Greyhound trainer uh, established themselves as a limited company and 52 of the assets introduced by that owner-director had four legs. They introduced 52 Greyhounds into that limited company, which they had previously paid for out of their own post-tax income. And therefore they were effectively an investment by that director into the company you know how you value those is another another issue one for uh, the wizards at cubed but um, that which you put into the company to give it a chance to succeed can take many forms um, as mark said vans tools equipment cash your time the use of your your part of your home and in that one example that I was looking at today, 52 furry friends, which we needed to ascribe a value to. That that client's a prime example, you know, as well as the, the the dogs, you know, we advise them to literally go around with a clipboard and look at everything. You know, they were the pr prime example of a client where you, you know, Richard, for example, was looking at this machine, so, you know, what about that? And they just, you don't even think about it, but when you sit there and look at the equipment to place that you know it's a considerable amount of money and if you're introducing that to this business then you that should form part of your director's loan account yeah this shareholder director had introduced over a hundred and fifty thousand pounds worth of his assets he'd been in the game 20 25 years he'd earned money he paid tax those assets he paid for out of post-tax income so rightly when he gave he gave them up to the limited liability company that was his loan, his bequest to the company. And until he were to exceed that in terms of what he takes out, there will be no tax payable. Yeah, I mean, there's another client 
very dear friend client of ours actually who took on an investor in a building company and this investor put some funds in and that was obvious because the money went into the account and there it is it's a director's loan account whatever it is but when you speak to the other side who is a you know a, a builder and you say well you know you've got a van full of equipment there that there's a value there all of a sudden you are putting in money yourself you know that that, that there is a an actual monetary value there that can be maybe not matched but it it will create a director's loan account for yourself as well so um there's lots of opportunities there with that wow what an amazing uh actually show today because we got to learn so much today and it was a ton of value no filters whatsoever so Mirage, have you any questions before we wrap up or you you happy enough no that's fine ozzy thank you mark and richard that was um really insightful thank you our pleasure okay guys so today we're going to wrap up the show and we host the show every wednesday cube at the cube club at 8 p.m london time for half an hour we take live questions from anyone and everybody from accountancy to marketing no matter what you need to know uh, and we find the answer for you so here we go before we go thank you guys for attending have a good day have a great evening we will speak to you next Wednesday at 8 p.m. Thanks, everyone. You've got plans, ideas, dreams to achieve great things and leave your mark on the world. Whether you are an entrepreneur, an influencer, a sole trader, starting your first business, or a seasoned business owner and leader. Reaching your goals can be difficult to do on your own. Give yourself the best chance for success by removing worry and stress. After all, you spend a lot of your time working, so you need to make every minute count. Cubed Consultancy is large enough to meet all your financial needs, but still small enough to know your name when you call. We give each of our clients the individual attention they deserve. Finances might seem boring and time-consuming for you, but they aren't for us. From accountancy and bookkeeping, to tax and payroll services, business advice, raising investment, and even helping you to manage your wealth, Cubed's got you covered. We help our clients save time so they can achieve freedom. So focus on what you want. Focus on what you love. Dream big. Innovate. And create. And take some time for yourself. Leave the rest. To us.